this may sound a little bit douchey, but you know, when have I, when have I let the concern of sounding like a douche prevent me from saying something in the past? Never would be, would be that answer. Diz Runs Radio episode 773 starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well, 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 here we are, end of another month, or almost, almost the end of another month, but certainly time for a little listener Q&A. If you're new around these parts, this is something we do at the end of each month. The last Friday of each month is dedicated to your questions, my answers, and hopefully, with a little bit of luck, said answers are actually useful. Said answers actually help you uh, navigate whatever issues, struggles, questions, concerns you have, or... If the questions are a little uh, tomfoolery, hopefully the answers continue the shenanigans and we can have a little fun along the way as well. So again, if you're new to the the show or, you know, if 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 you've been around for a while, but you're not part of the Facebook group yet, that is the best way to get your questions answered on the show. You can can always send questions other ways, but I'll be honest, they tend to get lost in the shuffle these days. I... uh, I like to think I've got my my ish together, but when it comes to emails, when it comes to keeping track of direct messages and things like that, you know, if I can't respond to it right away, if it's something I got to wait for the end of the month to to get to, which is kind of how these question and answer episodes come together, there's a decent chance that they get lost. But if you join our Facebook group, which is free, which is inv- I, don't, I don't know if it's invitation only, but you got to request to join, and I'll let you in. It kind of helps to keep a little bit of the riffraff out. Um, although you could make an argument that we've got plenty of riffraff in there, <laughs> you know, whatever <laughs> that's, that's, that depends on how you want to define riffraff, but, uh, you request to join, we'll let you in. And, uh, as long as you know, you don't prove yourself to, uh, be a bit of a douche, we'll let you stay and hope that you'll contribute to the party. Join, join the conversation, crack some jokes, share some memes. And of course, when you see the post that comes out that says, Hey, what are the questions that you have this month? You go ahead and chime in with some questions and then, uh, you know, this episode gets gets birthed. I give you some answers. And uh, hopefully, like I said, hopefully the answers are actually useful, actually helpful to you and, uh, you know, wherever you are with your running journey. So if you want to get into the Facebook group, all you got to do is point your browser to disruns.com slash Facebook, and it'll automatically direct to the front page of the Facebook group where you click the little button that says click here to join. Um, or I think it maybe says request to access, whatever you click the button, I'll let you in. Uh, and if you're just on Facebook or the next time you're scrolling around on Facebook, just search for the Diz runs tribe in the little Facebook search bar there. Uh, it'll pop up. You can also like the Facebook page if you want to, but that's not where the fun is. The fun is in the Facebook group. So make sure you, you search Diz runs on Facebook, come join the group, join the party. Um, and, uh, and yeah, be on the lookout for future, uh, Q and a episode calls for questions. And then get your questions in there, and I will answer them just like we've got going on today. And as has been the case in the last few months, the number of questions each month seems to be uh, high, which is awesome. The only downside of that, for at least for some of you at least, the downside is that uh, these episodes tend to uh, get a little bit long. I get a little long-winded, longer-winded than usual. And uh, so we'll try to stay on, on 
on task. We'll try to stay on point here and power through, but I think we've got about 18, 19, 20 questions, something like that, which isn't the, uh, isn't the most ever, but it's certainly a good chunk. And we're probably looking at a little over an hour, maybe an hour and 10 minutes by the time it's all said and done. I don't know. I'm, I'm saying that before I start diving into them. So we will see how things go, but, uh, without any further ado, first question coming from a man in, uh, in Tennessee, in middle Tennessee, Mr. Greg says, where did you get those sexy glasses you wear during your Friday fives? Amazon, baby. Where, where, do we, where does anybody get anything these days? Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. That's that's the place. Click the button. Shows up at the at the house the next day or two. Good to go. But uh, the glasses I wear, the, the orange colored, the sexy specs, my blue blockers, if you will, are all designed to help eliminate the blue light, help me to sleep a little bit better, help me to get to sleep quicker, sleep have higher sleep quality. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't have any like super specific, scientific, peer-reviewed, double-blinded uh data on this, but I will say that the days that I wear my, my, my blue blockers, I tend to sleep a little bit better. So, uh, if you haven't gotten yourself a pair yet, especially with the, with the nights getting, getting longer daylight ending, um, you know, getting dark earlier, looking at your screens, looking at your phones, getting that blue light, which helps to, uh, prevent the melatonin release that helps us to fall asleep naturally. Get yourself a pair of blue blockers. I think mine cost $12 or something like that on Amazon, $14. Um, you know, I mean, they're not super fancy, but you can also, Rebecca got a pair not too long ago that have clear lenses. So apparently you can get blue blockers with clear lenses. I like the orange ones just because, you know, if you're going to do it, do it right. But uh, get yourself a pair on Amazon. There's a link in the show notes today. That's a, actually an affiliate link. Um, but I'm not going to try to give you a, a fancy link. You can just search in Amazon, find them, get yourself a pair, and hopefully it'll improve your, your sleep quality. It'll definitely improve your look when you're wearing them at night, sitting around the house, watching TV, scrolling on, on Facebook, watching Friday fives, whatever the case might be. So Amazon, Greg, that's where you get, that's where you get everything these days. At least that's where I get everything. I've been no use for malls, no use for stores other than the grocery store. But uh, other than that, all Amazon all the time. Next question from Nicole. Do you have any thoughts on the effectiveness of ice baths specifically thinking for after a long run? Thanks. Yes, Nicole, I have thoughts that uh, maybe are are backed more in uh, placebo than they are backed in in proper science these days. So I'm a fan of an ice bath, and, and I say that I don't I haven't taken an ice bath in a while. So you know maybe I'm I'm not uh, putting my my money where my mouth is here, or my my uh, my booty in a cold tub like I, like I used to. But I I've I've done the ice bath several times. Always feel like I feel better afterwards of course after things thaw back out but sitting in, in the cold water helps with inflammation reduction helps with recovery um at least that's the that's the theory some some more recent science seems to show that maybe the cold tubs the cold plunges the ice isn't the best thing to speed up the recovery effort because it cuts down in inflammation which inflammation is part of the recovery process so maybe it's not the best thing for you um I kind of view it as more of a, of a placebo type of thing. So, you know, if, if you do the cold bath and you feel like you feel better afterwards, which I know there are a bunch of people that chimed in on this question in the group that all said, yes, yes, I love them. I love them. They make me, my legs feel so much better Then Hey, rock on. Maybe it's placebo. Maybe there's a little bit of science there. Uh, there's conflicting evidence both ways. Um, but I feel better after them. That said, it's been probably two or three years since I've done one, uh, because ultimately I think what's, what's maybe more effective than cold tubs is just consistency and training and your body starts to adapt and become stronger and, and you don't need the extra ice bath, cold water to, uh, to bring your, you know, to help with the recovery process, maybe as much, maybe it doesn't help anyway. Maybe it's just placebo anyway, but, uh, but yeah, I, 
I'm down. I'm down with getting in a, in a cold tub once in a while, uh, especially at the end of a race. A few things better than that, especially if it's a kind of a hot race. Jumping in the cold tub uh, whew, gives you, lets you know you're alive when you jump into uh, you know 50 degree water. Uh, and uh, whew, whew, yeah, yeah, good times though. Good times though. So you know, try try it. I, I think ultimately to, to answer your question, thinking about trying one after a long run, try it. If if it's something that feels like you feel like you feel better afterwards, go for it. If it's just pure misery sitting in the cold water, which I know it is for some people. Like, it's not like some miracle thing that you have to suffer through. If it's, if it's that miserable for you, don't worry about it. If, if you feel like it does give you a little bit of refresh, then rock on. It's, it definitely can help. And, and I think there is a little bit more science around how it kind of helps with hormones and, and just body processing. Um, still, still maybe some you know, biohacking type of thing. Um, you know, if you, if you're into that sort of thing, there's, there's some evidence there, how, how science-based it is. Eh. I don't know. Um, but, uh, I, I like a cold tub, even though I don't do one very often because I guess I'm just too lazy to get a bag of ice from the store and fill up the tub and uh, yada, yada, yada. Maybe I'll take advantage of the, the pool this winter though, you know, with it not being heated and, and jump in it when it's 50 degrees in the winter, in the winter months, maybe, maybe, I don't know. We'll see. I'll report back, but, uh, yeah, definitely thoughts on an ice bath that I like them, but your mileage on that may vary. Next question comes from Nate. Should I run my pre-scheduled 10k the day before my first marathon Bruh, why did you schedule a 10k the day before your first marathon like who does that who does that um you know ultimately nate when it comes down to it um i think that, that the real answer comes in is is what, what are your goals for the marathon and and how is training going so if, if the goal is, Hey, I just want to run my first marathon and not, not worry too much about pace and time goals. I just want to, I want to do it. I want to experience it. I want to finish training has gone. Well, I, I feel tip top shape. I'm ready to go. Then yeah, you could probably run the 10 K day before the marathon and, and be just fine. Um, if you're a little bit nervous, a little bit skittish, if you have a time goal, if, if training hasn't been perfect, then your best bet is to lay low the day before, maybe get a mile or two just to kind of loosen things up. But for the most part, rest, recover, and try to be as ready to go for that first marathon as possible. So, um, you know, the first marathon is a tricky, a tricky animal. It's a tricky animal, so much uncharted territory, so, so much that you learn in the first and second. I mean, you learn every marathon, but I feel like the first, the first couple few, for me at least, that, that was where the learning curve really was. And so, I mean, I'm glad I didn't go into any of those with running something serious the day before. Even if you're not running a hard 10K, that's still six miles. That's still some time on your feet. Um, and I'm glad I didn't do anything like that before the first few. These days, yeah, I could I could knock out a 10K before, before I run in a, a casual marathon. If I was trying to PR, yeah, there's no way I'm doing a 10K the day before. So I would say don't, but you know, depending on certain circumstances and what the 10 K might be, depending on if it's a special race or something like that, you could get away with it, but it's definitely not going to help you in terms of running your first marathon, probably going to make that first marathon a little bit tougher than it would be. If you skip the 10 K just focus on your first 26.2, but, uh, have, have fun. That's the big thing, right? Have fun in that first marathon, Nate, enjoy the experience, learn a bunch and, uh, Looking forward to welcoming you to the club, uh, club 26.2 in the not too distant future. But thank you for the question, my friend. Next question comes from Patty says, I recently had a long training run of about 18 miles and kept it a fairly easy pace. Felt great during it, drank water periodically and had one cliff shot at mile eight. After 
I noticed I had salt all over my arms, stains on my hat, etc. Salt stains on my on my hat, etc. What causes this? Parenthesis, I drink a lot of water daily and had it and drink an electrolyte drink after workouts. Do you think that this affects my runs? What recommendations do you have to reduce the sweat loss or the salt loss? Thanks. So Patty, um, first and foremost, congratulations on a good, strong, long training run. That's, that's awesome. You know, that's, that's the name of the game training up for, I'm assuming training up for a marathon. Um, but if not just training up for, for life, training up for, you know, training beyond a half, whatever, whatever it is, a good, strong 18. That's, that's spot on. Well done. Well done. Um, so, so to get to your question, you know, the, the salt, um, basically what, the, what that tells me is that you're just, a, a, for, for one reason or another, you're a little bit salty. Kidding, kidding. But you're, you are, a, a, you know, some of us naturally sweat a little bit saltier than others. It's just, it's just natural. It's biology. There's nothing, there's nothing really that can be done about it. So, you know, for the second part of your question, what recommendations do you have to reduce the salt loss? It, no, nothing. Don't run, I guess, you know, um, but there, there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to make your, your body excrete less salt when you sweat. That's just, that's just the nature of the beast. It, it is going to be what it is going to be. Nothing you're going to do about it, but how does it affect your run? Well, it doesn't sound like it affected your run very much during that 18 miler, which is awesome. Um, sweating, sweating out the, the salts, sweating out the electrolytes. It happens. Um, but what the electrolytes do, what the salts do within our body, why they're important is, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll spare you all of the, the in-depth physiology and, and biochemistry, but basically when your muscles contract and relax, that has everything to do with salts in your body with sodium, potassium, um, what am I missing? Chloride, I think, or chlorine, chlorine, uh, something there's, there's three or four different major salts in your body. Um, and, and when your muscles contract and relax, what is ultimately happening is your body is pushing ions, pushing some of those, those molecules one way. It causes the muscle to contract, push them back the other way. It causes the muscle to relax. So the reason that, that we always talk about, you know, having, make sure you're replacing salts and having some electrolytes and things like that is that if you sweat out too much of the salt, that contraction and relax relaxation can start to get jammed up a little bit. And all of a sudden that's when people start to cramp up. And when those, when those, those salt, those calcium pumps and sodium pumps inside your muscles, inside your body aren't functioning like they're supposed to, they get a little bit jammed up because the concentrations get off. You know, you, you lose a little bit of too much of one, a little bit of not enough of the other. And all of a sudden cramps. Now you can't go. Your muscles are, are literally locked up. So the fact that you're a heavy sweater and the, or a salty sweater, sorry, not a heavy sweater, a salty sweater, um, leads me to, to say, Hey, that's a good thing to learn now before you, you, uh, have a, a cramping issue. And it might be something to just kind of keep in mind going forward that, you know, the day before a long run, the day before a race, you might want to add a little bit more salt to your diet. You know, whether it's a pinch of salt in your water, which is something that I do every time I fill up my water bottle, I put a little bit of, of sea salt in there, uh, to make sure I'm replacing the salts that I'm losing when I sweat. Um, and I'm not that salty of a sweater, but you know, just, just to be safe, um, you may want to experiment with like taking a salt tablet the morning of, you know, one of the, the like kind of electrolyte pills or something like that, the morning of your race, or maybe you, you do some, some, you know, your electrolyte drink, maybe you do that the morning of your race as well, just to make sure you're, you're topping off the salt stores before you get out there and you start sweating them all out. You may also want to be a little bit more conscious of, 
of having some water with electrolytes during your run, during your race, especially for these longer runs where you're sweating a lot, just to just to help head it off at the pass. Make sure you're replacing some of those electrolytes that you're losing when you sweat. Obviously, you can do that with sports drinks as well. That's that's what they're kind of for is is to replace electrolytes. They do have a lot of sugar in them though. So you know if if you're trying to to watch the sugar, you don't like Gatorade, Powerade, things like that, then just having some salt tablets or a little bit of sea salt in your water, or there's various different other types of electrolyte sprays and this and that and the other, maybe replacing those a little bit during your run will help. And then also something that I know that I've kind of experienced, I know a few others have as well, is if you sweat out a bunch of salt during your run, don't replace it during slash immediately after, you can feel pretty lousy later in the day, even though you don't cramp up, but you can, like I get bad headaches if I'm not replacing enough salt after my, my runs or during preferably during, and then also after my runs as well. So, you know, you might want to be aware of that and maybe make sure that you're front loading slash taking some extra salts in, uh, during your run just to, to help make the recovery process go a little bit easier as well. But, um, you know, like I said, when it comes to trying to reduce the sweat loss or the the salt loss in your sweat, yeah, there's nothing you can do about that. That's just, that's just going to be the way it's going to be. Um, if this was just a one-off kind of random thing, it could have something to do with what you ate the day before, maybe being a little bit dehydrated, um, some type of biochemistry type of something. But if, if that kind of seems like it's a a pretty regular occurrence, then it just means you're a, a saltier sweater and you just need to make sure you add a little bit more salt into your diet the day before morning of slash during the run. And then a little bit more afterwards as well, just to make sure you're keeping your, your concentrations of, of salts, electrolytes in your body where they need to be so that you, you can function and go on business without, uh, without any issues of cramping or headaches or, or things like that as well. So hopefully that all makes sense, Patty. If, if it doesn't let me know, we'll kind of clear, try to clear it up a little bit more, but that's, that's, that's the name of the game when it comes to salt in your, in your body and, and losing it when you're sweating during a run. Uh, Maya has the next question. I think she's trolling me a little bit. Is it too early for pumpkin spice lattes? Yeah. Yeah. It's too early. It, it's always too early. Pumpkin spice lattes are terrible. And if you don't like them, or if you do like them, all of a sudden I question your judgment on just about anything else. Now, just kidding. If you like a pumpkin spice latte, have a pumpkin spice latte. I, I, t- 2040 is too early for me to have a pumpkin spice latte. So yeah, it's definitely too early in September of 2019 for them, in my opinion, but whatever, if you know, whatever floats your boat. If you like, if you like a little PSL, have a little PSL, but, uh, and you can have an extra one for me because gross, (coughs) excuse me. Next question coming from Katie. Uh, I'm wondering if you have any recommendations for how I can maintain my quote unquote half marathon readiness over the winter months. I've trained this year and I'd hate to lose the progress I've made. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense, Katie. And, and ultimately, you know, that, that's, that's the most frustrating thing about quote unquote off seasons for, for runners is that you know, you've, you've built up this fitness, whether it's over the summer and you lose it during the winter or, or whatever it is, you know, training up for a race. And then you take some time off after a race, losing that fitness sucks. You know, and you, then you go back to start running again. You're like, gosh, like I used to be able to do X and now I can't even do, you know, Y and that that's frustrating. So how do you kind of maintain that fitness over an off season, whether it's, you know, just for those, you know, for Katie over the winter, for, for everybody else, maybe it's after, after your big fall race, how do you maintain some fitness going into the winter, whatever the case might be. So the big thing, Katie, I think to answer your question is, is don't overthink it. You know, the best thing to maintain running fitness is to keep running pretty, pretty straightforward, right? 
that said, remember that it's a lot easier to maintain fitness than it is to build it. So, you know, I don't know what your training has been like this summer and building up your fitness to be in half marathon ready, but you know, let's just, I'll just throw numbers out there, adjust them as necessary, but say you've been running five days a week to get to this point of fitness where you are now, you can probably get away with running two or three times a week at most through the, through the winter and maintain 90%, 95% of that fitness. So that when the snow melts, you get back out there in the spring, you get no big deal to get that last little five or 10% back. You, you probably pretty much will feel like you haven't lost anything at all. Right. So, so just a couple runs a week, uh, maybe one long run a month or one, you know, a, a couple runs a week that probably includes a, a long run more often than not, but you know, maybe not even a, a dramatic long run, six, seven, eight miles, something like that for your long run. And then every so often throwing in a 10 miler a 10 or 11 mile or 12 mile or something like that. Just to, just to stretch things out a little bit. You don't have to do that weekly, maybe once a month, throw a 10 miler in there and you'll be good to go come spring. Now, if, if running in the winter just isn't really an option because you know, who likes to run on a treadmill and you don't like to be out in the cold, then what other things can you do? Any other, other types of exercise are still going to maintain most of your fitness. Now, as you're running specific fitness, it may drop a little bit more, but as long as your overall fitness stays strong, you'll get that running fitness back pretty quickly in the spring. So, you know, whether it's wintertime activities, skiing, cross-country skiing, of course, uh, snowshoe, snowshoeing, um, having snowball fights with the kids, building snowmen, wh- whatever, doing, doing outside stuff, shoveling the snow. That's, that's a pretty good workout. If I ever have one, um, you know, doing those types of things are going to help maintain your fitness. If you're stuck inside, getting on the bike, getting in, a, in an indoor pool, rowing machines, anything that's going to just keep you working out is going to help to maintain your fitness. And then, yeah, like if you don't run it all for several months, your specific running fitness may go down a bit, but you'll get it back. You'll get it back pretty quickly as long as you're doing something active to maintain your overall fitness. So, you know, yoga, Pilates, strength training, all those things are going to help you stay strong and fit. And then, you know, it'll take just a touch longer to get your running fitness back. But in an ideal world, get a couple runs a week on average, you know, get six or eight or 10 runs per month, man, you're not going to, you're not going to miss a drop. You're not going to be a step slower when the spring comes, Katie. I can promise you that. So good luck. But, uh, but yeah, definitely. If you've worked hard to build that fitness, hold on to it because, uh, few things more frustrating in running than building up your fitness, letting it fade and then trying to build it back again. It's, it's doable, but boy, it's not a whole lot of fun. So thank you for the question. Next two coming from Roger says, uh, the first one I'm new to your podcast. So not sure if this is a topic you've already discussed, but would love some tips to prevent black toenails. I feel like we maybe touched on this a few times, but Hey, let's, let's touch on it again. Roger, let's go. Uh, he says, I have narrow feet and my, uh, you know, my index toe or my second toe is longer than the other toes. I do not have problems on short, easy runs, but during some longer runs uh, of an hour or more or sprints to strides so speed stuff, downhill runs, I frequently have problems with that one toenail. I've already changed my lacing uh, and he posted a picture of different lacing styles that may help with, with black toenails. Um, any other recommendations would be appreciated. So, um, Roger, this may sound a little bit douchey, but you know, when have I, when have I let the concern of sounding like a douche prevent me from saying something in the past? Never would be, would be that answer. Um, check your shoes, check your shoes more often than not shoes that are too small shoes that are too narrow are what cause black toenails. I, I am very confident and comfortable and not knocking on wood at all. And it more than willing to say, I've never had a black toenail. I have no plans on ever getting a black toenail. Um, because I wear Maybe because my, my feet are, uh, I don't know, maybe I, I hit the foot lottery, maybe because of the shoes I wear, although I never had black toenails wearing other shoes before I switched over to Ultra. I don't know. But 
if your shoes are too narrow, your feet aren't able to spread out, right? Which is what the whole foot-shaped toe box thing is about. Allow your foot to splay, spread out, um, which actually keeps them from extending out as long because they're spreading wide instead of being forced narrow. Um, so that may help. So I don't know what shoes you're wearing, but if they're a bit on the narrow side, maybe try something that's a bit of a wider toe box, foot-shaped toe box, and see if that allows your foot to spread out. If they're too short, if your shoes are too short, then that, you know, size up a half a size. And, and I'm wondering, because I've seen various posts about this recently in, in, in our group and in and some other groups as well. And it seems like everybody who complains about the black toes, maybe not everybody, but it seems like the most common complaint is that, yeah, my second toe is longer than my first. And so maybe, and this is me speculating, but I think there's some, some decent reason to think this. Instead of measuring to your big toe, when you're sizing for which size shoes to wear size to your longest toe, whichever toe sticks out farther. So if your second toe is sticking out, sticking out farther, it's, it's longer than your, than your big toe, then that's where you need to size your shoes to. So it's probably going to be a half a size bigger. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if that pretty much eliminates your problems. That said, the reason that black toenails pop up is because of friction between the, the, the toe and your shoe. So if, if bigger shoes might help, but sometimes that can cause more problems because now it's not as tight on your foot. And so your foot's sliding around more. Now you're getting blisters. You may be getting some black toes anyway. Um, so you got to kind of play with some different things. Make sure your, your toes, your toenails are trimmed to the appropriate length. If they get a little bit long, especially if they're rubbing at the front of your shoe, that can cause a problem. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I think that for the most part, black toenails are, and some, for some people, they're just going to happen. There's nothing you can do to avoid it. But I think that in a lot of cases, playing with the shoe size, going up a half size might make all the difference in the world. Another thing to remember also while we're on the subject is that your shoes, your, your feet do swell a bit when you're running, you know, that, so it's, it's not uncommon for them to, to get a little bit bigger based on just the pounding, the, the swelling of, of, you know, blood flow going down. There's just the, the, again, biology, but they're, they are going to get a little bit bigger. So, you know, that might be Roger. Why on your shorter runs, they're no big deal, but your longer runs, they get, they have some problems because they're, they're in your, you know, you're working them longer. They're swelling up a little bit. Um, so that might be again, kind of something that says, Hey, maybe let's try just a little bit bigger shoe and see if that doesn't help. But you know, Try different things. That's that's the name of the game, ultimately. Try some different things and see what works. Um, so I don't know if that helps, if that doesn't help. Um, but hopefully uh, you can get rid of the black toes and, uh, you know, just have regular gnarly running, running, running feet uh, instead of gnarly runner feet with the black toenails. Although maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, thank you for the question, Roger. And the second question, what is the best way to keep sweat out of my eyes? And, you know, suck it up, buttercup. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. But... Uh, but you know, when it's hot, I don't know if there's anything that really helps keep the sweat out. You know, a headband might help a visor hat, something like that helps a little bit. Uh, but if it's hot enough, man, it's just, that's just the nature of the beast. So, um, yeah, there's, there's no good way. Yeah. I mean, I live in, I live in Florida, I run outside year round. It's hot. And when it's hot and muggy and humid, it just, it just happens. You know, you just kind of keep wiping your brow and, uh, hoping for the best, but boy, the, the sweat, it stings a little bit and you just kind of got to roll with it. I think at least that's all I do. If anybody else has a good suggestion beyond, you know, wearing a sweatband or something like that, that doesn't really work that well. Anyway, let me know. Cause I'm open for that suggestion as well. But, uh, uh, you know, Roger, just do the best you can try to keep the, the brow dry, but, uh, good luck when it's hot and humid, my friend. Um, Maya comes back with another question, a little bit more serious. She says back to business though. 
Is there a tried and true formula for figuring out your marathon and half marathon race paces, or is it more trial and error and risking going fast and suffering at the end or based on your easy run paces? So my, you know, I, I, um, I used to be a big, a bit of more of a proponent of, you know, practicing at race pace on a regular basis till I, till I saw the light and, uh, have really gotten into the, uh, the, the heart rate training and running easy most of the time. Um, and I know that you've embraced that recently as well, which is awesome. And I know it's, it's really working for you. Um, but it does make it a little bit tricky to try to figure out what your race pace is going to be based on when you're doing most of your runs, you know, one, two, maybe even three minutes slower than what you might run on race day. And it's, it's tough to, to, to have a good idea because you're not running hard. Most of the time you're saving that hard effort for race day. So I guess in, in a certain, certain sense, yeah, it is a bit of trial and error and trying to figure it out and, and running that risk of going too hard or not going hard enough. And then, and thinking, gosh, you know, I've still got a lot of gas left in the tank at the end of this race. Maybe I could have gone a little bit harder. Um, but I think maybe the, the, the option that I've played with over the last year, year and a half, and have really found it to work well is to not worry about the pace on race day not worry about the heart rate, not worry about anything, but trying to dial into how is my body feeling? How are my legs feeling? And just go with what I've got. Um, I remember when, when Chuck Van Doozy was on the show, uh, which I recently aired that one as a best of. So it's not too far back in the, in the archives. I think the first one was like 366. So it's been a, it's been a minute since he was on the show, but he was on the best of recently as well. There's a link in the show notes today. Dizruns.com slash seven, seven, three. Um, but he's an old school guy and he's like 85, 84, 80 something, um, still running marathons, still, still just being out there, just killing it. Um, but he was talking to, you know, he's, he's, he was a fun, fun guy to talk to, but he's kind of that crotchety old guy, like, ah, you know, kids these days and their technology and, and he was, he was kind of complaining about everybody being so reliant on their GPS watches and you know, I got to run my, my, this is my pace and I have to run it. And he said something that really stuck with me is that on race day, the goal if you're racing is to run as fast as you possibly can given the distance that you're running. So obviously the longer you're running, the more you need to pace yourself so you can still be strong and finish hard at the end. But when he said that, it really kind of clicked in my mind of like, Hey, you know, how fast can I run today? How, how strong do I feel? And what I've been doing lately is turning off everything on my watch, except for just, you know, overall time. I think I have distance on my, my watch as well, but I don't worry about, it doesn't show me pace. You know, when I get to the end of a mile, it doesn't show me a lap time or anything like that. It just, I just go. And, um, I've run the best marathons I've ever run since doing that. Um, two of which were new PRs. The two previous to that were just solid, strong efforts where I didn't feel like I faded, where I ran negative splits, ran strong at the end. Um, and it was all just due to just kind of dialing in and listening to my body. And I think that that's been one of the biggest revelations I've had with heart rate training is that. I'm more in tune to how I'm feeling. And especially on race day, when I'm not looking for that feedback, when I'm not, you know, I don't have my, I have my heart rate strap on, but I don't have it showing on my, my display at all. So I don't know how hard my, how fast my heart's beating. I don't know what pace I'm running. I'm just listening. Hey, do I feel good? Yeah, I feel good. Do I feel like I can maintain this pace for another two, three hours? Yeah, I think I probably do. And just kind of keep grinding, just kind of keep grinding. And, uh, it's, it's been amazing to me how once I've kind of just stopped worrying about it, and just listen to my body and gone that my paces have been pretty consistent. And, you know, I've either negative split or I've basically even split, you know, where I'm plus or minus a minute one way or the other. So they're basically the same front to, you know, first half to second half. Um, so it's, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit trial and error, but 
it's worked. It's worked. So when I go into a race these days, you know, if, even if I'm trying to race it, like I, I really don't stress about pace. I just stress about, all right, listen to your body. If you feel good, push and it's worked. So I don't know if that really answers your question. Cause it's, it's hard to figure out. Um, but it's, it's, it works. At least it works for me. I know it's worked for some folks that I've suggested it to as well, but you gotta be, you gotta be willing to release that time pressure and, and risk that it could go, it could go sideways. It certainly could. But if you're in tune with your body and you, you know, recognize that you're probably not gonna be able to run 5k pace or, you know, you're not gonna be, you're not trying to kill it from the start on a marathon or a half, but just push and kind of keep pushing a little bit harder. You, Hey, I'm feeling good. There's only eight miles left. I'm going to push just a touch harder. It works. It works versus getting locked into, I have to run at 930 pace this whole way. Maybe you could have run at 915 pace, but you were so worried about, you know, what the, what the Garmin is telling you that you don't push a little bit harder and, and maybe you're holding yourself back, which is what Chuck was talking about when we were, when we were having that discussion. So food for thought, but yeah, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out, um, the proper race pace. And it is kind of something that you, you figure out the more you do it, the, the more experienced you are, um, the longer you're in the sport, you just kind of start to figure things out. But even then, even then race day, it's always, it's always a guessing game. It's always hope we got this right because if not, whew, it's going to be, might be a little bit miserable for the last couple of miles. So I, I don't know if that answers your question. I'm pretty sure it probably doesn't, but uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So thank you for a more serious question than your pumpkin spice latte nonsense, Miss Maya. Next question from a man, Dan says, uh, when I go for a run, my heart rate jumps to zone three before I get a mile or so down the road. But when I do spin class, I work as hard as I can. And I'm lucky to see zone three before class is over. Is this just me or is it more common now, dude? It's definitely not just you. It's, it's, it's science, science. Um, running is, is harder on your body. Takes more effort than cycling. Why? Because cycling is not Wayne bear, not blah, blah, blah. cycling is non weight bearing. So when you're on a bike, when you're on a spin bike, you know, you, you're, you're not fighting gravity nearly as much as when you're standing upright running. Um, there's less pounding, there's less, you know, gravity plays much less of a role. So your body just literally doesn't have to work as hard to pedal a bike as it does to run. So, you know, you get out there running and your heart rate's going to jump because your body's working harder. You get on the spin bike and you got to work pretty hard to get your heart rate up to the same level. So totally normal, totally natural, nothing you can do about it. Um, but if you're going to be on the spin bike, might as well work. Might as well work hard because you can, you can work up a pretty good sweat without overtaxing your system because of the fact that biomechanically spinning cycling is easier than it is running. Now for all you bike people out there, I'm not saying that biking spinning is easier, that it's not a good workout. I'm just saying that from the, the amount of work your body needs to do from a heart rate perspective, it's pretty clear as day for any of us that, that follow heart rate principles that you can work a lot harder on the bike to try to, you have to work a lot harder on your bike to try to get your heart rate up than you do when you're running. And it's, it's biology, it's biomechanics, it's science, nothing, nothing more to it than that. Uh, question from Barb, just read your email newsletter where you said you were reading slash listening to peak performance. What other books on running and training can you recommend other than my book, of course, or other than your book, she says, of course, uh, extra points for audible books. So, um, Barb, you're teeing me up here and I'm going to take advantage of it. So thank you for teeing me up with this question. So what do I mean by what I say? I'm teeing, you're teeing me, teeing me up. Well, first of all, if you're, if you use audible or if you've never used audible, you want to check it out. You can check out any of thousands of books for free. I believe 
Most of these are on Audible, the, the suggestions I'm about to give. But you can try them for free if you go to disruns.com slash Audible. It's an affiliate link. You get a free book, free 30-month, or 30-month, goodness, I wish it was free 30 months. Free 30 days to try the try the thing out. Um, if you like it, great. Then then you can you obviously then subscribe and, and continue to, to take advantage of the, the books you get each month, which you get a free a free book or two free books each month with, you know, as, as far as uh, with your with your subscription fee, which usually the cost of the uh, the subscription is less than the cost of most books. So, it, you know, you're saving a little bit of money on that on that end. Um, and if you don't, you still get to keep the book. If you don't want to continue this Audible subscription, you can still keep the book that you tried out and, you know, listen to it as much as you want. So check that out, disruns.com slash Audible. The other reason you're teeing me up is that uh, we've been we've been kicking around this idea in the Patreon group a little bit, and we're, we're about to make it, make it a thing, the Disruns Book Club. And so it's going to be more... The real in-depth discussions are going to take place as, a, as kind of an add-on for the patrons, people that support the show financially, um, which has been a few people that have jumped on lately, which is awesome. Thank you guys for your support. If you want to get in on it, if you want to participate in the Diz Runs Book Club, where we're going to be looking at various different types of running-ish books, so you know things that relate are a little bit more technical, training type of stuff, maybe some memoirs or you know books that centered around running, but it's not like the technical how to get faster type of stuff. Maybe some mindset stuff, some psychology types of things. We're going to cover the gamut and mix it up a little bit month to month. But uh, if you want to get in on that, patreon.com slash disruns. Come come support the uh, support the cause, and, and we're going to start that up pretty much in the next month, in October. So uh, we're figuring out, finalizing the, the, the first book that we're going to look at, uh, and we're going to go from there. So check it out. But here are some books that we may cover at some point in the book club. Certainly some, some running books that I've enjoyed, uh, either enjoyed from you know the fact that they're fun reads, and or enjoyed because I've learned a lot from them. So these are just a few. I, I could go on for days. I've got uh, you know more books on my shelf than I can than than I've I've uh, always have the time to read. But uh, some really good ones are the Big Book of Endurance Training and Racing by Phil Maffetone, all about heart rate training. Uh, the Maffetone method completely has changed how I look at training, how I train myself, how I encourage my my athletes that I coach to train. Uh, it's been a game changer for me. Uh, Run for Your Life by Who's that one? Mark, Mark, Cal, blah, blah, blah. it's like kind of an awkward last name. I've been trying to get him on the show for a while now, but all about just how to, to run intelligently, f- injury-free, healthy, um, a lot of overlap with slowing down as well, which is great. But that, that's been a really good book, really easy to kind of understand the science, but the biomechanics, things like that. Run for Your Life is that book. Uh, Nowhere Near First by my friend Corey Reese, uh, who's uh, an ultra marathoner, runs a lot of 100 milers. Um, this is kind of a, a memoir type book. Um, really funny, lots of great stories. Um, the stuff he's done has been crazy. He was on the show a while back as well when the book first came out, but uh, definitely enjoy that one. Nowhere Near First is the title. Uh, my Year of Running Dangerously from Tom Foreman. Um, another great book, kind of a memoir, uh, kind of how he got back into running and really has, has become a, a pretty avid runner over the years. Um, love that book. That one I know is on audible, audible, um, as well. And then your best stride, um, which is all about kind of improving your form. Um, and I'm blanking on the author's name. I don't have it right here in front of me. So shame on me. Um, it's going to come to me in a minute. He's been, he's been on the show twice talking about two different books, but your best stride was, it was a great, hold on. I got it. I got to figure this out. I'll be right back. And of course, as soon as I press pause, right, that's when the name comes to me. Jonathan, Jonathan Beverly uh, wrote Your Best Stride, talking about form, biomechanics, how to improve your running form, improve your running efficiency. Um, 
lots of good stuff in there. Again, easy to understand, simple to implement, which is, which is the key. I think for, for these, uh, kind of how to run books is to not be too overly technical, but there's, there's literally dozens of other great running books. Um, I think I've got a list somewhere and I'm going to put together a list at some point soon on, on the website with a bunch of, of great running books as well. The ones that I've read, uh, for the podcast or things like that. You can check them out at your leisure, but, uh, thank you for the question, Barb. And, uh, you know, if you want to, Want to talk shop with some of these running books? Patreon.com slash Dizruns. Chip in a chip in a cup of coffee each month, and we're gonna we're gonna have some fun reading some books each and every month. Next question from Nicole is the stair climber okay slash good training for extreme elevation training? Not for the breathing part, but you know, mostly for the legs and the glutes and things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely is. Another option is to you know just tilt up the incline on the treadmill and just power hike up that Joker. But yeah, doing a stair climber. It's great for hitting, getting those glutes fired up, getting the hamstrings fired up, which is going to be huge for running uphills. If you've got a, a race with a lot of vertical, a lot of climbing that's going to happen, duh, stair climber, get on it, girl. Next question from Liz. When subbing in bike for running workout, should you always go harder on the bike or just the same time and effort uh, based on what your run would be? Um, so, so, you know, Harkening back to Dan's question, Liz, about, you know, how come the heart rate so much lower on the bike than it is on the run? Remember that cycling is going to be easier than running. So my, my recommendation is to basically do your bike effort at whatever effort your run was supposed to be that day. So if it's an easy run, do an easy bike, you know, maybe, maybe kind of the same level of, of heart rate. If you're, if you're used to heart rate training, um, same level of, of effort based training. Uh, if it's supposed to be a harder day, monitor what your heart rate would probably have been on the run. Try to be in about that same ballpark. But, um, in an ideal world, subbing out the bike for running on most of your, on easy days, but stick with your, your running workouts for your harder days, just because, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard to get your, your heart rate, your, your level of exertion up to the same level on a bike as it would be for a tempo run or a hard speed workout or something like that. It's just, just hard to do, but you know, just do the best you can, especially if you're kind of dealing with an injury or a niggle, something like that. So you kind of got to change things up a little bit. Um, don't overthink it. Don't try to be perfect. Just get, get a good workout in as best you can. And if, yeah, if you're missing a hard workout, try to go a little bit harder on the bike. If it's an easy run, you can back off just a little bit. Um, but definitely, definitely keep in mind that, you know, a level two of effort for running and a level two of effort for biking. They're not the same. You know, you're gonna have to work harder on the bike to get the same level of, 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 uh, fitness benefit as you would, uh, while you're running again, kind of based on what we already talked about with Dan. So hope that makes sense. Um, but you know, yeah, get, get what you can on the bike. It's, it is helpful. It is helpful for sure to do some cross training, um, or to help maintain your fitness if you're dealing with a little bit of an injury type of issue. So hope that's not the case, but if it is do the best you can and you'll be, you'll be all right. coming back off the bike. Uh, next question from Nancy, explain all the acronyms of the running community jargon used. Sometimes I can't figure out what is being said. Girl, same, same. Um, this, oh, so many things. Um, I don't know where to start where, where to, to end. So I'm just going to say that, yeah, there's a lot of confusing things out there. A lot of confusing jargon and acronyms and, and words. Um, when in doubt, just ask when in doubt, just ask, uh, most people aren't going to give you too much trouble if you don't understand something. And there's a pretty good chance that 
a lot of us don't understand the same thing. So, you know, whatever. I, I think, I think in the, sh- in the, in the blog post for this, I just used the, uh, at this point, I'm too afraid to ask uh, meme because yeah, you know, we use these things and then I don't, you know, I don't know where to start. So uh, if you have specific ones, you're not sure of, please feel free to let me know, but just a blank, a blank check of explain all of them. Gosh, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, sorry, terrible answer, but uh, not, not sure where to go with that question. Uh, next question comes from my man, Neil says, uh, before the invention of Diz Run's coffee, what coffee was your go-to whole bean ground, Jamaican Kona, yada, yada, yada. So, um, yes, there is Diz Run's coffee, disruns.com slash coffee. If you want to get yourself some, some pretty darn good coffee. If I, if I do may say so myself, that said, I'm not maybe the coffee snob that I portray myself to be sometimes. Um, yes, I like good coffee better than not good coffee, but I like not good coffee better than no coffee. So, um, you know, <laughs> Diz, Diz Runs Radio has long been powered by coffee, usually by whatever is on sale that's decent enough at the store when I go shopping until until Diz Runs Coffee came into the equation. So uh, usually I just go with whatever, you know, ground, um, something that was already, you know, kind of two for one, which is usually kind of how the, the sales run, uh, at least in our, our neck of the woods. Um, and, you know, anytime I'm down to just one bag, I just, whatever's on sale, if it's something good, grab myself two bags, good to go. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not, I, I, I'm not a, a hardcore coffee snob and not a hardcore coffee loyalist. Um, as long as it's decent and I can drink it by the gallon, we're good to go. We're good to go. So, um, you know, like I said, maybe, maybe I portray, I'm a little bit more particular with my coffee than I actually am. I'm not, not a big fan of like your Folgers and your Maxwell house and things like that, but as long as it's decent coffee, eh, good enough, good enough for this guy and black, of course, no, none of that pumpkin mocha joke froka loca loca stuff just give me a good bold coffee Woo. good to go another question from barb with fall race season upon us what race strategies can you suggest to snag that elusive pr seems like every race i'm within a minute yes one minute of my sub two hour half marathon goal um or i come in just a little over my goal time what are some strategies to shave that minute off of my time so barb i, I think that um assuming that your training is going well Assuming that you're getting your miles in, running at the right intensities, the right efforts, things like that, you know, make sure that you're taking your taper seriously. Make sure that you're resting a bit more in that, you know, seven to 10 days before your race so that you go into it ready to go. Because that's, that's one of the the worst situations is you go into a race, not at at full capacity because you've been training and getting too many miles in right up to the last minute. So, you know, respect the taper, keep it holy, but assuming that's the case, Having a little bit of a, of a run of a race day strategy that helps to try to get you to a negative split. The negative split tends to be, you know, pretty well widely accepted as the best strategy for running a, a strong, solid race and hitting your goal time. Negative split, meaning that you run the second half of your race faster than the first half. Now, sometimes depending on elevation course profiles, that may be almost impossible, but all things being equal, aim to run your, your the second half of your half marathon. So mile, whatever, 6.5 to, uh, to 13.1 or whatever, 6.55 to 13.1. Try to run that one to two, maybe three minutes faster than the first 6.5 miles. And and the way to try to set that up or the way that I typically encourage my, my clients to set that up, the way I try to set up for myself for the half marathon, I aim to run my first 5k at an average pace of probably 15 ish seconds slower than my goal pace. So I might run my first mile 25 to 30 seconds slower. My second mile, right at about 
15 seconds slower. And then by the time I get to the end of the third mile, by the time I get to the end of the 5k, I've kind of settled into goal pace, which ends, ends up, you know, kind of averaging out to being about 15 or 20 seconds slower for those first three miles than the goal pace. Now, obviously that puts you a little bit behind the, the eight ball, right? But then from the time you get to 5k, settle in, settle into that goal pace, you know, so for, for two and a half hours I, or for two hours, um, for the half marathon, that goal pace is going to be about 9.07. So you're running the first the first three miles at about a 9.30 pace, 9.25 pace, something like that. Then settle in at 9.07, 9.08, something like that. Settle in and cruise. Cruise basically at that same pace. Don't try to make anything up. Just pretty much stay right there, plus or minus a couple seconds, either way, um, to about the 10-mile mark. And then at 10 miles, you just start ratcheting it up a little bit. Start to get the, that time back and then push hard at the, at the finish. Uh, run a strong last 5K and you know, you manage your, your energy expenditure accordingly, you got a pretty good chance of, of clipping in underneath that, um, that two hour mark, you know, coming in at, at, at uh, 159, 158, something like that. Um, another thing to remember or to keep in mind when it comes to setting your pace goals is plan for the, plan for a bit longer course because Try as we might, it's really hard to run the tangents and run that perfect 13.1. You're probably going to be closer to like 13 and a quarter than you are to 13.1. Especially if the course has a lot of twists and turns and there's a lot of people there. It's really hard to run a perfect 13.1 or 13.12 or something like that. More often than not, I find myself in the 13.2 to 13.3 range over the course of a half marathon. So with that in mind, if you're pacing, if you're setting your pace goals based on 13.1, but your actual distance on race day to cover the course, because you're unable to run perfect tangents, you end up running closer to 13.2, 13.25. Guess what? You're going to be a minute over your goal for that half marathon distance. So set set your pace guidelines, maybe just a little bit for a little bit longer race. When you go to the, the pace calculators and you're trying to figure out if I want to run Two hours for the half marathon. No, two hours for 13.25. That's going to put you at whatever it's going to put you at, you know, nine, nine Oh two instead of nine Oh seven or, or eight fifty nine instead of nine Oh seven. Then you adjust accordingly and you're going to come in just under two hours for the half marathon. So that's probably the best bet, but definitely having a strategy of trying to figure out what you need to do to, to negative split is going to be good. And then set your, set your sights just a little bit higher so that if your course is, is a little bit longer because of not running in the tangents, you're going to be good to go. Hope all that makes sense, but that would be the best bet to try to come in underneath your goal time is to just plan on your race being a little bit longer because most likely it's going to be because running tangents is hard, especially in a crowded race and a curvy race, uh, almost impossible. A uh, handful of questions left, but we're getting to the point where I can see the finish line, which is exciting. Uh, next question comes from Peter. It says, I'm doing the math thing, and I want to know when I can start adding a hard hill workout or fast interval day. I'm having speed slash hill withdrawals. Sorry, my friend. Sorry, my friend. Um, according to the math himself, Dr. Maffetone says that you need at least eight weeks, preferably 12 weeks of running all aerobic-based training effort, um, which is you know sub sub math heart rate effort before you start mixing in anything faster than that. So that would be, that's, that's the, by the book answer. If you're really struggling, I would say that you can probably get away with mixing in, maybe not a proper workout, but mixing in a couple of strides on occasion earlier than that. And it's probably not going to set you back too far, 
but your best bet is to just stay patient. Give it eight weeks, give it 10 weeks, give it 12 weeks, and then start mixing in a speed workout once every couple of weeks, something like that. So you can scratch that itch. Um, but, uh, but yeah, less is more when it comes to, to the math style of training. Um, but I get it. I get it. And, and you might find that a little bit of stride workout, you know, even just one or two strides, not, not a proper, you know, several stride type of thing, but just one or two might be enough to just scratch the edge. I know I, I notice a difference when I do a, a stride here and there, um, especially the next day, like everything just feels a little bit better. So maybe try mixing in one of those, but just keep an eye on your heart rate and make sure it doesn't go above the, the zone. Um, especially early in your math quote unquote career, um, because your body is still adjusting to burning fat for fuel, building that aerobic base, things like that, which is what the math tone principle is all about. Um, and the more you jack that up in the early days, the harder it is for your body to, or the longer it takes your body to fully adjust fully, you know, kind of convert over to, uh, what you're going for with the math method. So, um, play with it, play with some, some strides a little bit, but don't overdo it. Be patient. And then you can get, you can, you know, scratch that itch, uh, in, in two or three months. All right. Uh, hope that helps Peter. Good luck. And, uh, stick with it because it, it works. It works. It really, really does. Um, next question from Chantel working on my next running goal, a sub two thirty half marathon. I ran my last half in two thirty seven minutes, two hours, 37 minutes, 18 seconds. Is it possible to take off almost eight minutes? How do I know what time goal is realistic? Is it possible? Absolutely. Um, is it, is it going to be easy? No, probably not. You know, a, an eight minute half marathon that's, you know, that's going to be, um, I don't know. I'm not, I don't have my calculator right in front of me, but probably 45, 50 seconds per mile faster than what you did, uh, in the last half marathon. So you're going to be pushing, you're going to be working hard. Um, but it's absolutely possible. And I don't know where you are in terms of, you know, preparing for this race. I don't know where you are in terms of, uh, your training and, and how consistent you're being, but you know, obviously the, the, the more consistent you are with the work, the more intelligent training that you're doing, um, knocking off eight minutes, it's, it's going to take an effort. Is it doable? Absolutely. Um, how do I know what time goal is realistic? Um, you know, again, kind of going back to Maya's question, I don't know that it's, it's a real, it, I don't know that it's as easy as just saying that this is with a time goal that I think is realistic. Um, it's a little bit of a touch and feel a little bit of, of kind of depending on how the, the training has gone, what the course looks like. Is it really hilly? Is it mostly, mostly flat? Is it straight out and back? Is it lots of twists and turns? Cause that's going to take a little bit longer. Um, so it's hard to, to nail it down. Um, but I think that, you know, I mean, setting, if, if your goal is 2.30, then set 2.30 as your goal and see how it goes. See how it goes. Now, you know, you may struggle towards the end and, and may come up a bit short, but you may surprise yourself and be like, wow, I just ran 2.27. Like, how did I go 10 minutes faster? It's doable. It's doable. As long as your training is, is going well, make sure you're taking care of the little things. Make sure you're rested and recovered before the race. You know, remember the taper, keep it holy. Um, but, but yeah. No, no doubt in my mind that it's possible. It's not easy, but absolutely doable. Um, good luck. Good luck. Melody chimes in with her question for the month. How does losing salt affect your run? Well, kind of hearkening back to what we already talked about. You start to lose too much salt. Your body doesn't work as well as far as, as contracting and relaxing your muscles. Cramping can set in, um, you know, and it, it can lead to a whole host of problems. It can give you headaches and, and kind of throw your, your body chemistry. Cause that's what ultimately the salt is positive and negative ions, uh, within your body throws your chemistry off your, your acid levels or your, your pH levels off. Um, and it, you know, if you start to lose too much, it can, it can really impact you. So making sure you're replacing some salt, uh, especially if you're a saltier sweater is kind of important, 
But, uh, you know, the, the, the surface answer is it can lead to cramping, which is not a whole lot of fun on race day. If your quads or your hamstrings start to lock up, that sucks. Straight up, that sucks. Uh, last three questions, all coming from a man, Tom. Uh, first one, uh, he says, my Garmin's calorie counter is inconsistent. I have run the same distance and route with nearly the same exact time, but Garmin's calorie count has varied by as much as 150 calories. What gives? Uh, most likely situation there, Tom? Well, two, two possible situations. One, I don't know how much I trust Garmin's calorie counter. Um, so there's that. So I wouldn't put too much gospel into, into those numbers, but the, the likely reason that they vary so much has all to do with your heart rate. Um, you know, if you're running the same pace, but one day it was ridiculously cooler and one day it was ridiculously hot and humid, your hot and humid day, you probably says you built more or you burn more calories because your heart rate was so much higher because of the heat. Maybe there was stress. Maybe there was, had a cup of coffee before you went, whatever. Anything that caused your heart rate to be higher, Garmin's going to register that as burning more calories than if everything else, all other factors are, are equal. That's, you know, I would imagine that your heart rate is probably the variable that's different. Uh, go back and look, but I bet you that that is going to be the situation. Next question. Any thoughts on recovery sandals? I have a pair of Hoka recovery sandals that are super comfortable, but I'm unsure on the science behind these things. Yeah, I'm unsure on the science of those too, uh, Tom. I, I don't, I don't really buy that, you know, the Hoka's or the Ufa's or whatever, that they're better for recovery than my rainbows or then, you know, whatever your Nikes or whatever, whatever running, sand, whatever sandals you have, <coughs> excuse me. If you have it, if you have footwear, that's comfortable, go with it. I, I, I mean, I'm not really aware of the science behind them, but I don't think that there's a whole lot to it as far as proper recovery sandals versus just, you know, whatever, whatever comfortable footwear that you have go with that after a race. And then the last question from Tom, once again, you live in a state with three NFL teams. Which team is your favorite option D none of the above. Where am I from? I'm from Michigan. Who's my team? <sighs> the lions, the lions. I'm a lions fan through and through. Uh, I, I will never be a bucks or a Jags or a dolphin supporter. Uh, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll bleed and weep and cry tears of Honolulu blue and silver for the rest of my life, because Lord knows the odds of them ever going to the Super Bowl in my lifetime, probably not very good, but in typical Lions fan fashion, maybe, maybe this year, if not this year, maybe next year, <sighs> I'm a Lions fan. It's a tough life. It's a tough life. But, uh, but yeah, one day, one day, Honolulu blue and silver, oh, one day, but that's, that's my team. That's my story. I am sticking to it. So that is it for the questions. Thank you for uh, all the questions, everybody. And look at that coming in at just over an hour, as opposed to the hour 10 plus that I anticipated Whew. getting, getting locked in with my answers, staying on track as much as possible. Love it. But uh, y'all thank you for the questions. Once again, if you haven't joined the Facebook group yet, come on over and join us. Dizruns.com slash Facebook is the place to be. Get your questions answered next month. Um, and just enjoy the tomfoolery that happens on a daily basis in the group anyway. Share your wins, share your struggles, share share your laughs. We, we love it all. Um, always something going on in the group. Thank you for everybody who's in it. Thank you for everybody who's listening to today's episode. If you have thoughts, if you had feedback, you have a, a, a differing opinion on any of the answers I gave today, let me know. I'm at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. You can also send, send an email, Dizruns at gmail.com. And of course, you can head to the show notes today, Dizruns.com slash 773 is the link for the memes, the gifs, the links, all the things. And you can also leave a comment there and tell me what I got wrong, 
white pumpkin spice lattes are delicious. You'll be wrong on that one, but we can have that argument in the comments section of the post. Dizruns.com slash 773. And until next time, I'm going to get out of here before we get to an hour. Woo! Who would have saw that coming? Not this guy. But until next time, be well. Take care. Thank you again for listening. We'll talk soon, all right? See you guys.